This episode sponsored by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode of the Grow My Revenue Business Cast, I'm joined by Jim Schlexer, the CEO of the Inc. CEO Project, a CEO peer advisory group for companies that are $15 million and above. Because of Jim's extensive experience working with top-performing CEOs, I'm going to ask him the biggest thing he sees that hold back executives. We'll talk about what separates the best performers from the rest. And finally, what are the five roles of a CEO and which role should you play? You're going to get a ton of value from Jim Schlexer. So, Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Ian. Nice to uh, talk to you. I'm sure I've butchered a little bit your background. So what should people really know about you, Jim? Um, Well, you got the basics. You know, basically my entire career, I've been running companies for other people. Um, And during that journey, I uh, used a CEO peer group to help me. And they were invaluable, you know, as I hit various difficult decisions or I was crossing certain bridges uh, when I left sort of the corporate environment, um, I decided to do that instead of working for other people. So what I do now is I help uh, other CEOs uh, improve their performance, particularly in growth companies, deal with their most difficult issues. And we do that with some one-on-one coaching, but we also do it with CEO peer groups, which uh, you get the power of that group mind, which is is irreplaceable, as you know. It, absolutely. And I think it's something that a lot of people overlook because as CEOs, we have that level of confidence, so it's easy for us to think that we have all the answers, and it's amazing when you get surrounded by a bunch of peers, and someone brings something up, and two things usually go through your mind. One is, man, I have that same problem and never realized it, yep. and mm-hmm. two is, wow, that's a really clever idea how to solve that. If I actually realized I had that problem, I probably would have taken that same approach or something totally different, and you get that benefit from it. What What are the biggest things that you see executives do that holds them back from their true potential? Yeah, and, and we spent a lot of time on this. Um, it's around the area of how they allocate their time and how they engage in their business. This is really central, central stuff because the CEO position is a, a high leverage job. You know, It's the highest lever- leverage at some levels. And we find a lot of CEOs that end up putting their time in low leverage roles. In other words, they're not getting a good multiplication on their effort in terms of the impact on the business. So this is what we spend a lot of time with with these leaders on. And, and you know, one way to think about it is uh, the great CEOs understand that their business is a system, and somewhere in that system is a constraint, something that's stopping it from being everything it can possibly be, growing as fast as it'd like to be, making as much money as they'd like it to make. The simple analogy is a hose, right? So uh, a hose has got a kink in it, and it's impeding the water flow out the end of the hose. Well, really good CEOs spend a fair amount of time figuring out where the kink in the hose is, and then they go unkink it. Well, that sounds really simple in the case of a hose, but in the case of a business, finding the kink in the business, if you will, 
is a difficult process, and then engaging in it to unkink it is also difficult. And the great CEOs basically spend all their time finding the kink in the business and unkinking it. Okay, so so some of the examples, and I think I think back to my prior businesses. I know that um, I know that in, in one of my businesses, our, our big challenge was. And it was funny because I didn't see it as a challenge until after the fact. Yep. I, I played an instrumental role in almost every major sale that we made. And, and the business <laughs> yep. didn't scale until I got the heck out of the way. But, of course, along the way, anytime there was a big opportunity, the entire leadership team said, well, no, no, Ian needs to be involved because it's a big deal. And we couldn't scale until we got rid of that. How common is that? Uh, let's say 100% plus or minus one. I mean, it's... <laughs> It, every entrepreneur goes through exactly that experience, whether it's they're the top sales guy or the top engineer or the top marketer or the top whatever they happen to be great at. And we're all great at something. But you get stuck in what we call player mode where you're adding value by doing what you're great at. But it's a one times one conversation. Right. So as you went and landed that big order, which was great. You built no organizational capacity to execute. In fact, you could argue, Ian, and you saw this when you got out of the way, you were probably impeding the organization's ability to build muscle and go get orders on its own. And and what you need to do is think about, okay, how the really good CEOs, when they're in player mode like that, they're spending their time asking, they want to get out of it as fast as they possibly can. And they go, what talent do I need around this problem so I don't have to do it anymore? And what systems do I need around it so I don't have to do it anymore? And they spend they spend their time there. And Jim, but, and I think I think the combination of the talent and the systems is what some people overlook. Because someone will say, well, gee, I'm just going to hire somebody, and then they say, well, this person doesn't do the job as well as I do. <laughs> and and I and I think that the I think the risk there is that that's a problem for us as leaders or CEOs when. Look, I mean, I, I look back in my part of business, it was, wow, Ian's, Ian's going out and he's closing these deals. But why? And it wasn't until we built a system and process that other people could follow, then it became more valuable. And I think the counterintuitive side is that the CEO who's a great rainmaker think that, thinks that that's an attribute when they go to sell their business. Nope. But that isn't always the case. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, I'm going to just go back to delegation and then I'll go over to, to selling the business. The rule we teach leaders, because the problem is you probably are like an 11 and a half out of 10 on the capability to do that particular job. So we say, look, you'll never find anybody as good as yourself. They might, but let's just start with that. (laughs) So, so, well, so find somebody who's 70% as good and delegate it. And they go 70% and go, absolutely. 70% because you spend zero time and you get 70% of the result. That's a pretty good payback on your time. Eventually, they'll become 80 and 90 and 100, but you got to start with 70, and, if, and, and you got to accept that. And usually, by the way, Ian, the other thing we see is people initially to solve the problem throw talent at it, as you said, and then they back it up with systems over time. It's really an organizational maturity thing. Low maturity organizations apply talent to the problem, and as they begin to scale, they can't hire another superstar. They go, oh boy, I better put a system in place so normal human beings can actually do this job and do it effectively. Uh, I want to roll over to your question about uh, selling the business. So uh, buyers understand this problem intimately well. And so when you've got a, a CEO or a leader or a founder who's in a key, key, key role in the business, whatever it is, engineering, sales, marketing, whatever it is, they see through that very quickly and, and you'll be able to sell the business, but you're not going to be able to leave. Yeah. 
So you, that's the problem. They go, well, I want to sell the business and leave. And if you're in a critical role like that, you go, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. you've, got to, you've got to stay because you're adding too much value. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that. And also it's, okay, if I'm the buyer, now I'm thinking, so this business rocks. If let's say I was buying a company that you were running, this, this business rocks if Jim's involved, but we don't know what happens if Jim isn't involved. And if Jim's not involved and that's a risk, then I don't necessarily want to hand Jim a wheelbarrow of money. You got to knock the price down. There's yeah, because, no choice. Because Jim, because I either need to do an earnout, I need to discount it. Because now it's dependent upon that one person. If we build a process, then of course now I've got some added value to it. Now, one of the other things that that you mentioned, this whole idea of of talent first or process first, is I had a client of mine recently who said, "Well, we're, we're trying to really grow our business, and so I think what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to add an advisory board." And I said, "Okay." Well, how's that going to help? And they said, well, I mean, we just, we just don't know how to grow. And I said, well, what do you want your advisory board to do? And they said, well, what, what I want my advisory board really to do is I want my advisory board to help us identify these new business opportunities that we can go chase. I mean, you ever see that strategy? Yeah, you know, and if somebody's really looking for you know, insight and um, uh, to their business in an, without any agenda – you know, we recommend obviously CEO peer groups as a way to do it, whether it's ours or somebody else's. Having a mastermind group like that that looks at the problem different is just invaluable, and they will speak the truth to you. Unlike your team, unlike your everybody else has an agenda. These kind of groups don't, and so they're really valuable. But I have seen advisory boards used as basically business development uh, models. A lot of that's done in the government contracting space where you'll have an advisory board and it might include you know, a two-star general and an admiral and another yep. guy who is a SES, a very high-level executive in the, in the government because they know how the, where the wires run and they can get you the meetings you need that will allow you to go pitch your wares and, uh, and maybe get on the bid list. right? So there are door openers for you and, and that's done all the time in that industry. Uh, where they're used uh, because of their role at X to access clients that you can't get to on your own. Uh, and then that's a valuable use of an advisory board is, is golden Rolodex. That's a very valuable use. My experience also is that in the federal space, it works really well. On the commercial side, people say, oh, this person was in manufacturing. They must know everybody. And the unfortunate reality is they usually don't. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to say it's more common in the, uh, in the government space, but whether it's military or commercial side of the government. Uh, or or, gov- or civilian side of the government, yep. uh, I've not seen it be particularly effective in the uh, in the in the commercial side. Having said that, I have seen sort of technology advisory councils be okay, where you're sort of help me understand what's going on, where the leading bleeding edge is, where we should be bringing the roadmap for our product. I've seen some of that be pretty effective. You got a bunch of really smart techno guys around it and gals around your table. They can be invaluable and give you insights you may not have had before, but not. A biz dev advisory group that doesn't work in commercial, in my experience at least. Sure, I mean, and, and by the way, it's my experience too. I'm not saying it couldn't work. It's yeah. just um, it's typically what I've seen. Now, I, I know that you talk a lot about different roles that people have, or in essence, different hats they wear. Yep. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Because when I when the first time I heard it, I thought, man, this is a great way to think about your role in the organization and what it is that you're doing. Yep. Um, so we talked about the first part of the process, which is uh, the identification of the constraint, right? The kink in the hose or the, uh, the constraint in the system. Once you identify it, you should engage in it in one of five ways. So there's five fundamental roles that great CEOs play 
and they spend most of their time in one of these five roles because they're all high leverage. One is architect. So, you know, imagine designing something, architecting something. In this case, you're architecting your business. Who should I sell to? What margin should I make? How should I price? What should my offer be that's compelling so people can't say no to it? That's all architectural type role. And, you know, I got to say, if I had to pick one role that provides more value than any other, it's the architect role. Because if you've got the right business model, everything else in your life gets easier. If you've got the wrong business model, it's just hard as heck. I mean, you can sell, sell, sell your heart out and work like crazy and not make any money. Yeah, it's, it's like trying to push a rope at that point. It's just it, not going to happen. Yeah, a wet rope up a hill, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next role, and we talked about talent and the importance of talents, is the coach role, right? So that's, that's identifying, recruiting, retaining, orienting, uh, developing talent in your organization. Uh, and that includes, by the way, getting rid of talent that's non-performing. You know, just like a baseball team coach, if they weren't getting rid of talent, people would say they're not doing their job. And, and that's true for a CEO, too. When somebody's non-performing, you have to take steps to sure. modify or eliminate them. But talent is really important. One of the things that's interesting is a lot of people say, I'd love to have all A players in my organization. And, and part of coaching is to understand that that's actually not true. You want A's in the really high-impact positions but good, solid B players that show up every day, do their job, don't must, don't fuss, high perform, you know, they perform their role as specified plus a little bit, that's what makes the business run, right? Not all A's. You just want A's in critical positions. So you got to be thoughtful about your talent strategies. And, and sometimes it's that flexibility of the, staying with the sports metaphor, of that good utility infielder yeah. who, you know what, gee, if someone else get, gets injured, if someone's out on leave, someone's tied up in a project, they can chip in in all these areas. They're not necessarily going to lead the league in home runs, but you can count on them every day. You got it, right? And everybody has Bob, right? And they yeah. go, just give it to Bob. He can handle it. And he, exactly. And he, and he won't knock it out of the park, but he'll always do a good, solid job. Great. So we've got the architect, the, we've got the coach. coach. The next one is engineer, right? Yeah. So we talked about uh, when you're in player mode, which I'll talk about in a minute, uh, you want to back out using talent and processes. So talent is using the coach job. Engineer is the process and system job, right? So that's thinking about what IT should I have to provide information to the team that they need at the right point? How should we engage in clients? What should my website look like? But also engineering the culture of the company that includes things like values um, and uh, the stories you tell yourselves, what you reward, that's actually all engineered in a way that creates a culture, which is also very, very powerful in organization. So when I say systems, people think IT, but when we say it, we also mean the human side of the system, which includes training, uh, values, reward systems. Those are all very important as well when you think about engineering something. I had an episode with Robert Richmond, who was the culture strategist at Zappos, mm -hmm. talking about building culture in organizations. You'll find that interesting. So we've got the architect, the coach, the engineer... And and then player. Now, okay. uh, we talked about player being a bad thing and excessive use of player where I'm doing a job, right? Getting a sale or engineering a product being bad. But it turns out you actually need to stay in player mode somewhere around 20, 25% of your time. A couple of reasons. Main one is, uh, well, first of all, you obviously do a good job at it. You can have an impact on the business. So that's a very good thing by itself. The second is it keeps you connected to the business. And we've talked to CEOs that are never in player mode you ask them a very reasonable question about their business and they go, I don't know. They have no idea. And, and that's really dangerous because it means all your information is coming to you uh, pre-chewed. And uh, that's a dangerous thing as a leader. Yep. 
But the last one is the opportunity to learn in, in player mode. So most of the really great CEOs, while they're, for example, making that sale that you were doing, they're asking themselves questions. So the meta work that they're doing while in player mode is they're learning. They're going, do I have the right talent on this account? I wonder if we gave them a money back guarantee if we get the sale to happen faster. Uh, what am I, how am I positioned against my competition? Should I change my offer? Is my pricing right? They're asking all these other coach architect, engineer questions while they're in player mode. It's interesting you mentioned that because after, after I stepped back and basically built systems, processes, and talent to run the sales side of the business and expand yep. globally, then what happened was when I got back in, what I found is that when I was, and I wasn't conscious of it being a player, right, of being in that player role, I was just, okay, I'm back involved in this deal. When I would get involved, I, I saw myself through a different lens, and now I was saying, okay, I'm here helping with this sale. How can I coach or mentor my people? What can they learn from this? What am I learning that might be broken in our systems? How should we restructure the way we're, we're creating this offer for our clients? Bingo. So now, all of a sudden, instead of just being in how do I generate revenue mode, how do I, how do I close this deal – I started thinking more broadly because I stepped away from it. Then I had a different context when I came in because after that meeting, I didn't have to hold that client's hand the whole way. I had a team of people doing it. Yeah, no, that's spot on, Ian. And that, and that is the evolution of you know being in pure player mode to being in player mode as an effective CEO, uh, what we call lazy CEO, right? That they never want to be in player mode again. And then in the last role, the fifth one is, is learner. Um, and we found that the really exceptional CEOs are actually thirsty, thirsty learners, right? So they are out there. They're hungry for anything. They might read history or, or, or motorcycling. Uh, they want to learn everything about their business. I mean, they are just voracious for information and learning because they love it. Um, and then they apply that learning back into their business. And the big question here is if your business is running great, things are going good, we're making money, we're growing, people are happy – you should absolutely be in learning mode at that time because the question is, what's next? Yep. Right? And if you're not asking that question yourself, you're not out there learning, trying to figure out what's next and bring that back to the business, let me guarantee you nobody else is. And part of, part of the issue is you take all the skills, experience, knowledge, background that you have as a leader, you integrate that with learning, you're able to see patterns and see answers that other people can't see. And I'm sure everybody in the audience is going, there are times where I've seen an answer and nobody on my team understood why I thought that was the right answer. It's because they have this depth of experience and knowledge and that, they, that the team doesn't have. And that's why it's so important that they stay in learner mode. You cannot delegate the learner mode. I think that's great insight for people to realize that sometimes people forget that learning aspect. And it's, it's a funny thing because I'll get people to say, oh, man, you know, I'm really good at sales, so I don't really go to any of these sorts of programs Yeah, because mm -hmm. I already know everything. And I always tell people, I say, look, Every time I teach a program, I learn something new that I didn't know. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if you're attending it and you're not learning anything, I don't know what to tell you because I'm picking up something new every single time, but it's also I have that desire to constantly evolve. And, and, and the great ones have that thirst, right? And, and they will always find the, the nuggets of gold. You know, they'll read a business book that's kind of an okay business book, and they'll still find three good ideas in it, right? Yep. Absolutely. So, hey, Jim, what's the greatest lesson that you ever learned in your businesses, maybe maybe things where you failed or struggled in the past that you've brought forward to what you teach other people? Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a hard question. You know, I, I, I think if I had to give um, 
one piece of advice uh, to somebody would be uh, to, to work smart. And when I say that, uh, really be focused on effectiveness of what you do, that it's having an impact, and measure it somehow. So measure what you do and make sure you're moving that ball forward every day, every week. Because um, it'll be funny. People say, well, that sounds obvious to me, Jim. Uh, but I will tell you that most people don't think like that. Yeah. They, they show up and they do work and they don't really think about, am I moving the ball forward? So if you do that one thing, you're already in the top 10% of the class. And I think that's something that people can really grab onto. And most people don't come up with a way to measure. They say, oh, I'm no. good at this. And I say, how do you know? Yep. Well, I just know. Well, that's not a good enough explanation. Yep. We, actually, we actually need something a little bit more than that. Well, I, I, by, I, by the way, I have, a, I have a client that uses that as an interview question. He goes, uh, Ian, if I was to hire you, how would I know you're doing a good job? And, you know, if they're a good potential employee, they go, well, you'd want to look at my, uh, my retention rate and my new customer acquisition rate and my total revenue. He goes, Great. Let me just mark those down because when I hire you, that's exactly how I'm going to measure you. <laughs> Thanks for all the rope to hang you with. That's, that's, I'm that's, planning on using it. <laughs> that's brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to the book coming out, Great yeah. CEOs Are Lazy, which yep. I love the title because it makes you stop and think. Yeah. What, what's the best way for our audience to, uh, to find you, Jim? The best way to find us is at uh, Inc. INCCEOproject.com. And that talks about the work we do with uh, CEOs and CEO peer groups and our coaching work is, and so forth. The book is going to be available on Amazon, uh, both in an ebook and uh, and a book you can just buy and read at your, your leisure. Yeah. Well, you know what? Great insight. Jim, thanks for being with me today and uh, hope to see you soon. Thanks, Ian. Jim has clearly been around the block a couple times and has great insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the top few things I think you can apply in your business right away. First, business is about developing a repeatable system, not doing things haphazardly or accidentally. Second, which of the five roles are you playing in your organization? Architect, coach, engineer, player, or learner? And then define and measure your effectiveness and impact as well as those on your team so that you can measure where you should be spending your time. And of course, check out Great CEOs Are Lazy, Jim's upcoming book. This show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show or have a topic you'd love for me to cover, please let me know by dropping me an email at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at Grow My Revenue.